0: Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast.
1: Today's broadcast is entitled The Biblical Significance of Unleavened Bread. If you've ever seen or participated in a communion service in a Primitive Baptist congregation, you know that we only use unleavened bread in the communion service. We use wine and unleavened bread as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we show His death until He comes. While You might be tempted to think that we're simply being old-fashioned or traditionalist. There are actually significant biblical reasons why we choose to use this item in the Lord's Supper. Now, today, we want to explore this in a rather interesting study, in my opinion, from both the Old and the New Testament. Just a little bit of an introduction about the communion service in a historic Baptist church, and that's what we are here at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church. That's what we are as Primitive Baptist, Historic Baptist. Communion services were taken with perhaps a little more reverence and And severity than they are in a lot of congregations today. The elder, the pastor of that church, the ordained minister is the only one who is permitted to administer that, because that's one of the roles of the ministry in the Word of God. They are to administer the ordinances. And what we do in a communion service, we break the unleavened bread up. And again, it has to be unleavened, and that's what we'll discuss today, why we use that and some interesting things from the Old Testament about unleavened bread. The elder will pray and ask God to bless the bread. He'll break it in front of the congregation. He'll have the deacons, those who are appointed to serve, go and distribute that to the members of our congregation. And then following that, there will be more words said about the wine that represents obviously the blood of Christ There'll be another prayer, and then those cups of wine are distributed around the congregation as well. So with that said, first things first, why do we use and insist upon unleavened bread at communion time? Well, the answer to that, the simplest answer to that, is we use this simply because this is what Jesus used at the communion service when he instituted his communion service, the Lord's Supper, which was, as you probably know— Right before his crucifixion, the evening before he was arrested at the Passover service, Jesus institutes this. He takes the items that are there available at the Passover service, and he repurposes them as an ordinance for his church to show his death until his second coming. And that language of showing his death until he comes is literally found in the Apostle Paul's writings to the Corinthians, and that tells us the purpose of and the longevity of the communion service. We observe the Lord's Supper in our churches to show the Lord's death, and this is something that's going to be taking place in the world all the way until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the simplest answer as to why we practice communion with unleavened bread and with wine is simply because this is what Jesus used. Now, Today, we'll speak specifically about using the unleavened bread and the symbolism behind it and where this comes from in the Old Testament, some interesting things about unleavened bread from the Old Testament. Now, you might be thinking, well, you're saying that, but where do you actually find where Jesus used unleavened bread as he instituted the communion service? In Matthew chapter 26, notice this in verse 17, the first day of the feast of unleavened bread had come. It was the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The disciples come to Jesus asking where they're going to prepare for the Passover. They go into this upper room, and as we read in verse 26 of this same chapter, as they were eating, that is, eating the Passover, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples. He says to them, Take, eat, this is my body. And as we read in Luke chapter 22, this do in remembrance of me. Do this. Take this bread. Bless it, break it, divide it, ingest it, take this wine, bless it, distribute it, ingest it, and do this in remembrance of me. The unleavened bread represents the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that was broken for us. The wine that we ingest at communion represents—it's an emblem of the blood of Christ that he shed for us. Take, drink, this is my blood of the New Testament, as we read here in Matthew twenty-six twenty-eight. And we do this in remembrance of him. We do this every time we do to show his death until he comes. Now, what type of bread did Jesus use at this first communion service? Well, he used unleavened bread because this is the feast of unleavened bread by law, the law of Moses. Jewish people could not have leaven in their homes during this week. And so when Jesus takes this bread and he breaks it and he distributes it, It is undeniably unleavened bread. Now, this is very fitting, unleavened bread as a picture of the body of Christ. Why is this fitting? Jesus is using this bread to teach a lesson about his suffering to his disciples. This bread represents his body. Leaven so many times in the Word of God is a picture of sin. The warnings that we have in Paul's writing that a little leaven leavens the whole lump to put out the old leaven, to repent of our sins, to beware of sin creeping up in our bodies, in our minds, in our midst, in our churches, not to become desensitized to it. And he exhorts us to purge out this leaven, to purge out sin in our personal lives. Leaven is a picture of sin in the Word of God. Well, Jesus' body has no sin in it. Jesus had no sin. And so leaven being a picture of sin, it makes perfect sense to us that the bread that we would use at communion is unleavened bread. And just to emphasize that point briefly, in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, we have a high priest which is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Now read this with me, verse 15, the second part of that verse, but was in all points tempted like as are we yet without sin. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus is without sin. The apostle Peter says in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 that we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. There was no guile found in his mouth. Jesus is perfect from the very beginning to the very end of his days in this world. He had no sin. He was made like unto his brethren. He was a human being, just like we're human beings. But Jesus had no sin. He had no nature of sin. He was not subject to sin. He was in every way impeccable. The impeccability of Christ is an area that I'll fight you about. I'll argue with you about that subject. Christ is impeccable. He was unable to be corrupted. He was not subject to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. Jesus was without sin. Though Satan solicits him with it from time to time, he never even desired to do that which Satan solicited, because Jesus is perfect. Can you see why unleavened bread, then, is such a perfect depiction, a perfect emblem or symbol of the body of Christ? He's without sin. There's no sin in his members, and his body is broken for the sins of his people. He's a human being, and yet he has no sin nature. He never committed a sin. He didn't inherit a nature of sin, being born of a virgin named Mary. This is a great depiction of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, recently I was watching a discussion unfold online in a chat group, and people were talking about recipes for unleavened bread. And the most common way to make unleavened bread is the simplest. You simply take flour and cold water, and you knead the dough and flatten it out put a little dry flour all around the dough that you've made and cook it in the oven for a few minutes and you've got yourself some easy unleavened bread. But in that discussion, there were some people who were mistakenly assuming that any ingredient would equate to leaven or ruin the bread for the purpose of a communion service. So let me be very clear that an added ingredient, such as a preservative, doesn't ruin the bread for the purpose of communion, nor do ingredients such as salt or oil defile the bread in some sense, because oil is not leaven and salt is not leaven. When we talk about unleavened bread, what actually is leaven? We've mentioned this word multiple times in our broadcast today. What is leaven? Leaven is yeast. It's an agent a fungus that is added to the dough, and it causes the dough to rise. In our modern day and age, some people will put baking soda or other things in the dough to make it rise. But traditionally, and especially in Jesus' day, the agent that would be used to leaven the bread was yeast. Truth be told, if you take white bleached flour from the grocery store— and you begin to look at it, it has ingredients that are added to it. It's not just flour. If it comes from a store and it was produced in a factory, there are ingredients, preservatives, that are added to it to make the product last longer, to make the product work better. Unless you're growing this grain yourself, more than likely it's going to have something added to it. The important thing is that it doesn't have leaven. Not that it has no Added ingredients at all, but that it doesn't have the ingredient of leaven. Now, at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church, we actually use a kosher Jewish recipe. And as I'm thinking about kosher Jewish recipes, these usually have grain that's been monitored from the time that it was planted and grown and harvested all the way up until the time that it is used. They're very serious Orthodox Jews about their unleavened bread. This is a very important thing to those who observe Passover. But we use a kosher Jewish recipe for our unleavened bread here, because that's the closest thing that we can find to what Jesus would have used in his day, I believe identically to what Jesus used in his day. Now, this brings me to an interesting part, the interesting part of today's broadcast, which is the Old Testament usage of and recipe for unleavened bread. And I think as we study this, you'll find some very intriguing things about unleavened bread that you might not have considered before. We look at unleavened bread and bread in the communion service through the lens of the New Testament and its usage, the finished work of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion, the Lord's Supper. But the origin of unleavened bread to the nation of Israel— is Passover. This is something that God commanded them, as we'll see in just a moment, to observe. A feast of unleavened bread, a festival that lasted an entire week in which they were to purge their houses of all leaven. It begins with the Passover, where they would slaughter the Passover lamb and eat it, ingest it. And of course, this comes from the book of Exodus chapter 12. One thing that I found fascinating about unleavened bread prior to the Passover, there's only one reference to it in the Word of God prior to Passover in Exodus 12, and that was when Lot fed the two angels that visited Sodom. He made them cakes of unleavened bread, and they ate. I would argue that the bread that Abraham gave to the Lord and those same two angels in Genesis chapter 18 was unleavened bread as well because Sarah quickly made three measures of fine meal and kneaded and made cakes upon the hearth. There wasn't time for her to leaven the bread in Genesis chapter 18. So what I find so fascinating about that, as God the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, this is Jehovah visiting Abraham in the plains of Mamre. This is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ, a theophany, When God visits Abraham and when these angels visit Lot, they're actually serving these men, either the angels or the Lord, they're serving them unleavened bread. And so with Abraham, it's interesting that you see a little picture of the communion service in the book of Genesis chapter 18 as the Lord is fellowshipping with Abraham there as he visits him before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But the origins of unleavened bread being used in a ceremonial or religious sense comes from the Passover service, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, in Exodus chapter 12. Now, you can read that, the first few verses of Exodus chapter 12. This is the first month of the year for them, and on the tenth day of this month, they'll take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers. They'll slaughter it, they'll eat it with bitter herbs, and in conjunction with this passover feast there is going to be a feast of unleavened bread and this was to be a holy convocation unto them this was a special day they would do no work on these days according to exodus 12:16 and you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread exodus 12:17 for this self same day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Wherefore shall you observe this day in your generations forever? Now, in verse 15 of this chapter, God tells them regarding this feast, this week of unleavened bread, that they were to put all leaven out of their houses. And if they were to eat leaven during this time period, they would be cut off from Israel. So there is absolutely no way that what Jesus and his disciples would have had at the first communion service was leaven, and I believe that's a practice that we ought to continue throughout our time today, because it's simply the proper thing to use to depict the Lord's body. Remember, leaven is a picture of sin. The church should use unleavened bread in communion because Jesus is sin-free. Now, we know why we use unleavened bread in communion. And we know that they had a festival, but why did the Lord prescribe unleavened bread for the children of Israel way back in that day? Well, the reason that God told the nation of Israel to use unleavened bread in the Feast of Unleavened Bread is because their departure from Egypt was so hasty. They left Egypt so quickly that as they made bread— it didn't have time to leaven. Verse 39 of Exodus chapter 12, they baked unleavened cakes of the dough, which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry. Neither had they prepared for themselves any victual, So they leave Egypt with such haste that the bread didn't even have time to leaven, and they ate unleavened bread in their journey. And think about it. This was a part of their New Year celebration every year. In the first Month of their year, the beginning of months for their year, they have this celebration, and it dates back to when that nation was freed from Egyptian bondage. Now, I want to make a point that will preach about the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in exodus twelve thirty nine You saw that this is normal bread; it's not bleached flour, stripped of all ingredients but the flour and the water, but this is in every way normal bread with one exception. It had no leaven. Let's fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is a normal human being, body, soul, and spirit, made like unto his brethren, a man in every way, yet without sin. The only thing this bread lacked as they leave Egypt and go after their inheritance, is leaven. The only thing that Jesus lacked as far as a man is the sin nature that every other one of us has. And so just like the bread that they used in the Exodus was unleavened because of the haste with which they left Egypt, but it was in every other way normal bread, Jesus is in every other way, like every other human being. He's a human being in every way, with the one exception. He has no sin. He has no leaven. Something as significant as unleavened bread in the Old Testament, something they're commanded to ingest of, something that they use in their festival days, something that important, you would imagine that God would actually provide for them a recipe, wouldn't you? You have patterns for how to make clothing. You have recipes for how to slaughter and cook the animals that would be sacrifices. You even have instruction to have the Passover lamb with bitter herbs, the temple, its curtain, the ark, all the items of the temple was very clearly and specifically depicted, commanded, and prescribed in the law. What about unleavened bread? Is there a biblical recipe for unleavened bread, something as common in the church in its usage, but also as significant and important in that it represents the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there a recipe for unleavened bread? The answer to that question is yes. Now, while we don't find a recipe for unleavened bread for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we find recipes for unleavened bread elsewhere as God commanded that bread to be used for other reasons, like with the priests and the grain offerings that they would make. Now, in Leviticus chapter 2, we actually find instruction for what the King James Bible calls a meat offering, but this meat offering, the word meat doesn't mean meat as in beef or pork or chicken or deer, but This meat offering here has reference to grain. Remember in the KJV, meat simply means food. It doesn't mean what we say when we say meat today. And so the meat offering is a grain offering. Now in the grain offering, notice this in Leviticus 2 in verse 1, When any will offer a meat offering or a grain offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour. He shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereupon. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and they shall take thereout his handful of the flour thereof, and the oil thereof, with the frankincense thereof, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar, to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. You have another instruction in verse 4. If thou bring an oblation of a meat offering, bacon in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mingled with oil, or unleavened wafers anointed with oil." Another offering there. Verse 5 of Leviticus 2, If the oblation be a meat offering, bacon in a pan, it shall be a fine flour unleavened, mingled with oil. Thou shalt part it in pieces, and pour oil thereon. It is a meat offering. So how does he tell these people to make their unleavened bread offerings? Well, he tells them to do that with oil. You pour oil on it, you cook it in oil, Well, that tells me that this is why the Orthodox Jews use oil in their unleavened bread, because that's literally the recipe that God gave them to use in the Old Testament. What about the other common ingredient other than the water and the flour and the oil in Jewish recipes for unleavened bread? Salt. Is there any reference to salt being a part of the recipe in the Old Testament? Actually, the answer to that question is yes. In verse 13 of Leviticus chapter 2, "...every oblation of thy meat offering or grain offering shalt thou season with salt, neither shalt thou suffer the salt of thy covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offerings. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt." And so every time they offered unleavened bread as an offering to God, they were commanded to apply salt, to season it with salt. So the reason that Orthodox Jews use oil and salt in their recipe for unleavened bread, and the reason it's fine to add oil and salt to communion bread— is because they were commanded to use oil, and they were prohibited from omitting the salt. There were important reasons for why they were to use those two items in their unleavened bread. That makes that permissible for us today. Now, a couple of practical things about oil and salt, and I found this so very interesting. It's important that the bread is unleavened. If you think it's insignificant, it's not a point that's to be concerned with, you really need to revisit this subject. God was very particular about this. Oil actually serves as an antifungal agent. Oil stops yeast. Oil is something that can prevent yeast from spreading. This is something that's true for many different types of oil, whether it be olive oil or coconut oil. Oil stops the spread of yeast. Likewise, this ingredient salt that God commanded to be added to his unleavened bread. Salt kills yeast. And so God is telling them, you are going to make unleavened bread. You're going to dip it in oil. Oil stops leaven. You're going to put salt on it. Salt is going to be a part of your unleavened bread. Salt kills leaven. Literally, there are two things that there to add that keeps the bread unleavened. So those are not damaging or dangerous ingredients that pollute or corrupt communion bread, there's actually a biblical reason why they were in unleavened bread. Now, let's fast forward to Jesus' day, because we've been comparing the unleavened bread to the body of Christ throughout this message, to his body that was broken for us. What does oil so often represent in the Word of God? Oil in the Word of God often represents being anointed. In fact, as someone is anointed, For a duty or a task in the Old Testament, they pour oil on their head. When Aaron is anointed to be the priest, they pour oil on him. Did you know the word anointed is the very same word as the word Christ? We anoint someone with oil, and the word for Christ literally is the word anointed. How might oil in the unleavened bread point to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it's teaching us that He is anointed, the anointed of God, the Messiah. At the same time, oil, representing anointing, can have symbolic reference to the Holy Spirit. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ in His physical body was, according to the Gospels, of the Holy Spirit as Mary carried Him as a virgin. And so, perhaps there are deeper symbolic meanings behind the Usage of oil in Old Testament unleavened bread. Now, the last ingredient that we consider today, salt. What might salt be a picture of? Well, we saw it referred to as the salt of the covenant here in the book of Exodus chapter 12. But in the New Testament, fast-forwarding to the New Testament, if the salt has lost its savor, you know what that word salt has reference to there? Righteousness. What makes God's people different? Salt is a biblical symbol for righteousness. How might that point to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus, and Jesus alone, is righteous, and he gives us his righteousness. I hope that you can see how important it is that during the communion service we use unleavened bread. I hope you see how it perfectly depicts the sinless nature and body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hope you found some interesting significance in the ingredients that God himself placed in the recipe for unleavened bread in the Old Testament. Again, I'm Ben Winslet thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward
0: to Zion, the beautiful city of God. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtosion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.
1: Oh